Alright everyone, welcome back. On this week's episode, Kayla got to sit down with Karma Lofton. Karma has been in the barrel racing game a long time and has made her mark breeding and raising some of the best barrel horses running down the alley. If you look at her program, quality not quantity is the focus. In 2021, she hit the million dollar mark as a breeder with 34 foals. Her program was built with the help and guidance of Cassie Mowry as her trainer and jockey, and Karma and Cassie were the minds behind creating Epic Leader. We all know the dynasty that idea has created. Before we get started, this episode is brought to you by BarrelRacing.com. Better horsemanship, a stronger mentality, faster and smoother runs. These are all reasons why BarrelRacing.com is the best training tool for barrel racers. Our training videos offer beginning to advanced barrel racing instructions from the most respected voices in the industry, like the 2021 WPRA World Champion Jordan Briggs and more. Whether you're at the barn, on the road, or in the arena, check out BarrelRacing.com. From the convenience of your device to help you train smarter, not harder. Cut time, gain confidence, and win more with experts showing you what works. Don't forget to use promo code MONEYBARREL15 for 15% off your BarrelRacing.com membership. That's MONEYBARREL15 for 15% off your membership. All right, Karma, you're up. This is the Money Barrel. It is breeding season now, and one of our goals with the podcast is to highlight everybody involved in the barrel racing industry. And today, we are getting the chance to talk to Karma Lofton, one of the great breeders in our industry. And thank you so much for joining me today. Thank you for having me. Um, Not sure how I got on here, but thank you. Well, I was just looking at your breeder's equistat, and it seems like, what was it, just last year, your colts have hit the million dollar mark in earnings so that's how you made it on here <laughs> you you are good at what okay. you do okay i've worked hard at it and i thought this has really stretched me way back to you know when you asked me to do this thinking about where it all started where i came from how i got here so yeah you've had me had me think way back <laughs> Well, why don't we, I mean, just just start. Tell us kind of how you did get into horses and, okay. um, yeah, just okay. start there. Well, I guess I was born like it, you know, loving horses like, like most of us, you know. I think the first memory I have is me in diapers on my grandpa's old Tony horse. He was just a poor dirt farmer in southwest Louisiana. And he had workhorses, but I'm telling you what, that's my first memory. My brother was sitting in the saddle behind me, and all I could think of is, will you get off and let me ride this horse by myself? (laughs) (laughs) So anyway, so that, so I did not grow up in a horse family at all, ranching family at all. In fact, my dad said they got the wrong baby at the hospital um, because I was the only one that cared anything about horses and and it was a no. It was a hard no. You can't get horses. You know, forget it. We don't have the money. We don't have resources. We So I had appendicitis and they ruptured. I think it was in the third grade and I almost died. And like two weeks into this, my mom says, oh, Lord, you know, if you let her live, you know, I'll get her a horse. So that's basically I had to almost die to get started in it. <laughs> And then my grandpa, the first horse he gave me was a white Shetland pony stallion. <laughs> so that's what I 
learned to ride on and and he run me through barbed wire fences and ran off with me and mounted other horses while my friends were riding them you know just it's like okay i i, I just I, like i said i learned the hard way and i finally got uh, a half arab mare and she was the kind you could do anything on and i learned to ride on her bareback jump jumps you know and so she was the first one I ever ran barrels on, and we had this little local show, and it was in 1969. That's why I'm saying you got me going way back <laughs> from my first barrel race. Well, it was one of those shows, you get a little play day where you run everything. So I, I got a little picture, and, and I'm standing there holding her, and, and I was 12 years old, and uh, I had a blue ribbon and five red ribbons, and that was it. It was over then. The bug had bitten. You know, it was no going back. So my mom pretty much had to buy me a, a, you know, a registered horse. And I had some friends that had paint horses. So I actually, in the 70s, grew up uh, showing paint horses. And um, all of these, and I'm thinking a lot of my eye for a horse goes back to the 70s when they were true all-around horses. Um, you know, I love to show halter horses. I wanted to show halter horses, but most of the horses that I showed in halter and was successful on were, uh, running bred horses. Really? They were beautiful. I mean, there were some great horses back then, great horse men. I got to see, you know, um, train horses, um, you know, just learned a lot. And I think just that all around horse that, um, you could show in halter. I could show in showmanship and youth classes, bring them out, throw a saddle on them, and, and, you know, ride them in all the events. You know, that that's the type of horse I've always kept in mind. That's kind of, we had a great 4-H club where we learned confirmation, where, you know, I studied pedigrees, I, just, just everything I possibly could, like all of us do. Uh, not just me, just, 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 you know, I ate it up. So, um, so I got that. Well, my first stallion a little bit later in the seventies, I got, uh, I bought a yearling paint stallion. He was straight running bread, but he was beautiful. I shut, in fact, he won his first grand championship, uh, two weeks off the racetrack and he still had racing plates on him. Oh, wow. Well, then I'd, and then I'd go out and throw my saddle on him and <clears throat> go in there and, and Western pleasure and trail and, you know, as he got a little older, you know, I could do raining. And, you know, we run barrels on him, uh, roped on him. We actually sent him back to the racetrack because we need two more points to get him a, a supreme championship. But anyway, and then, you know, so all along, those were the type of horses I'm, you know, raised. And mm-hmm. that's what I still look for today because I can think back and, I mean, some of those horses – you know, were just beautiful and they could run and they're athletes. So, and they're kind of the middle of the road type horse that, that I still look for. But, um, so after that, maybe the early eighties, I got to ride a really, really great barrel horse. He was, uh, his name was Seco Pep. He was the son of Seco Magnolia out of a, that's Pep's boy mare, just all straight, 
you know, old-timey, you know, running horses. And he was such an athlete. He put such a feel in me, you know, for what a great barrel horse, you know, is, what they feel like. And then, you know, I tried my best to put that into other horses. And um, so that's a really important thing. You know, if somebody can ride a great horse and get that feel. And so about that time, you know, they were starting up um, the barrel fraternities. And some of my friends were going to those. I mean, this was before the BFA or right about the time they start even started that. But um, so the so I found um, um, maybe was he a two year old maybe uh, a two year old. He was a grandson of Rocket Bar on the top, and out of a three O's mare, and he was gorgeous. He was just built just like what I was talking about. Mm-hmm. Um, just an athlete plus i mean i could have showed him in halter he was so nice looking uh his name was charge on rocket and um so (laughs) i probably this is a these are the things you know you, you you do wrong but you don't know you're doing wrong at the time i entered him i trained on him all as a three year old and entered him in the tbra fraternity that was the big fraternity you know, way back, everybody wanted to either win the TBRA or the, you know, Fort Smith. So, um, I exhibitioned him all summer long and then took him out and won the TBRA on him. And, and just, it was like, Carmen, do you realize what you've done? I said, no, (laughs) you know, it's, it's like Deb Mohan was second on Brown. Jackie Bob Cox was second on her mare that she went to the NFR on. Celie Ray was right in there. Dale Urey was right in there. I'm going, oh, okay. Where have you been all year? You know, I'm going, well, I've just been exhibitioning him. And it's like I realized how I wasted that horse on the early part of the year because, I mean, he was doing so good. But you don't know. I didn't know. I just just young and just, just didn't know. But um, there was – he was out running everything in Mississippi and and really even at that time you had to outrun everybody in Mississippi before you wanted to go to Texas you know or anywhere else there mm-hmm. were some really good horses back then it's, and there still is and I've got a lot of friends still back there so that kind of got me started in the um in the loving the fraternity horses because that's what I've strived you know to breed for and 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 when I started out, I was trying to breed these horses for me to ride. But um, that horse, Charge on Rocket, Char- uh, Rocky, he had foundered when he was a yearling, and I couldn't keep him sound. And you know, back then in Mississippi, there weren't there weren't any lameness vets. That you know, I knew a few people that were bringing them out to Texas, but I didn't have the resources to come and. And so, so he didn't, he didn't continue on. I thought, you know, he was a world-class horse and he did me a lot of good, but I couldn't keep him sound. So what I did then, I was thinking, well, that got me thinking about the rehab part of my life. And what can I do to fix this horse? Is there a, is there a, you know, something I can do? And so there really wasn't because, a lot of people back then, you know, I even had a world champion tell me to put a hot leg 
in, in hot water. Well, it's like, mm, no, I think you're supposed to ice it. So it, we didn't know a whole lot. You know, it was it was just, that's what's so great about things nowadays. You know, we have the vets, we have the knowledge, we have the rehab capabilities, you know, to, to work on our horses and keep them going and, and so much more knowledge than we did back then. But anyway, that's when that's when I sold him. I sold out. And I, I just completely sold out everything to go back to school. Um, and I didn't really know what I wanted to do, but I needed to do that because he was making my living and he wasn't anymore. So I had to do something. So uh, I had gone to Willis Knighton Hospital in Shreveport, was walking down the back hallways and I saw this room. And I just walked past it. And it's basically where the therapists keep all of their, you know, parts of wheelchairs and parts of uh, equipment that they're not using or or the walkers or crutches or, you know, whatever's in there. And it was like, audibly, this is the only time it's ever happened. You know, God just said, that's what I want you to do. And it's like I was alone in that hall. And I looked around, and it's like, who said that? And and it's like, okay, that's what I, you want me to be a therapist? God, I don't even like people, you know? <laughs> <laughs> Just wait a minute. I don't know if I can do this. So anyway, I did do it, and every door opened up for me. And, and you know, I wasn't good in math going to school, and it's like I got through all the physics and chemistries and all of that, and finally got into PT school. So that took seven, five and a half years, almost seven years before I got back into courses. Uh, went to PT school, started out, you know, as a therapist, and, you know, learned a lot of things that I wanted to learn. There's so much correlation between, like, neuro rehab and how you train a horse. You know, the pressure and release that we do with our patients is basically – a lot of the things, you know, that I like to, you know, do with my colts, pressure and release, you know, that was, it, it's in the rehab world, it's in the horse world. Um, so that really interested me and that kept me going. And so I finally got back to where I could buy some horses and I started out with um, a couple of horses. I go down to Louisiana, uh, run a uh, core horse you know, race and yearling sale and bought a couple of young horses and, and started them. And then I uh, found an old Bugs Alive mare. And um, so I bought her because, you know, there were so many that uh, Vicki and Celie Ray, you know, uh, some others, Mary Berger, you know, just loved those horses. So, and they were good. So I kind of grew up watching those. So I bought her and I bred her to a local stallion. And so this was, this was, my, one of my very first colts that I raised that went on, and uh, he he was six in Fort Smith that year. I think that was 2005, and I think that's kind of when when my breeding equestat maybe began. Mm-hmm. Um, so uh, so, and then she had some colts. She had a filly that uh, that I bred the Blazing Jetalina, and there was a there was a filly that did good back then. Um, for me to keep going, a lot of times I have to sell them. Um, so to, so that's kind of been, been a 
issue. I haven't had the resources to say breed them and show them or, or you know train them or send them to a trainer. You know I've had to sell them, and hopefully what I've done, you know, is get them in the right hands. You know, mm-hmm. try to be try to be smart and and know that that was gonna keep going with it. So, um, so then I got a few more mares and. Um, I only had, let's see, I think 11 mares between this time that, you know, that did this. So I wasn't buying a lot of mares. You know, I did, what I did was try to keep the families of mares that I had and breed them, maybe keep a daughter, breed that daughter, you know, because I knew that mare. And I knew what I felt like would would go with her. So that's what I've done is try to have few mares because I don't go to Heritage. I don't go buy them. I just try to keep them going. And and so that that's kind of how it started um, so how did you I mean when you when you got back into it and you bought them and you you know decided you wanted to breed them how did you pick the stallions that you were looking for I mean because even 20 years ago I mean the stallion ads now are at the tip of your fingers on Facebook and social media and everything so how did you pick the stallions did you stay mainly local to what you knew did you see magazines and you wanted to branch out um how did you pick and match them well the first one the high flying bugs he was a local horse but that was a great horse um he was called high set he was by go city go by go man go and that horse was a local horse but i mean he was he was the old time he running blood he had beautiful colts he was beautiful itself uh a lot several of his colts made really good barrel horses i went to a lot of local shows in mississippi at that time um so i did get to see what was running around there and like i said earlier you know mississippi really did have some great horses um there was another son there you know rocket's cookie a own son of rocket bar there was a great Son of Rocket Bar standing in uh, um, Meridian, Mississippi, called Three Jets. Um, just, you know, just super nice horses that I got to see. Um, it's it's like I, I would, uh, back in that day, you know, uh, I'd go to the brush tracks and actually we, you know, fool with some racehorses. So I, I would ride on the brush tracks a little bit and work some thoroughbreds for trainers, work some quarter horses for trainers. So I did get to sleep, see a lot of good local horses that were very well bred. Plus I was going enough, um, to the futurities and, and around to see, uh, stallions actually running themselves that I liked, um, colts by stallions that were doing good. You know, those were the years that I really, really studied the breeding. So it was kind of both. Some good local stallions and some up-and-coming stallions. Like, um, well, when I bred Country Girl to um, Firewater on the Rocks, you know, i would seen um, Latricia running him for a, a few years, and it's just like, oh, wow, this is a really, really nice stallion. 
and um, so that's how I got Firewater Make Me Happy. Um, and so I did both. I did both. Is Country um, Girl one of the mares that came through your program and you kept through breeding yes. in her mom and everything? I, yes. Um, I saw Country Girl when she was a three-year-old tied, tied to a, a girl's trailer. And it's like, oh, wow, what a good-looking mare. And then I saw her just, they had the stakes on the, uh, exhibition stakes on the open stakes at that time. And her time outrun three or 400 people. And it's like, whoa, and I saw her run. And it's like, how can I buy that mare? That mare was perfect for me, but I couldn't get her bought. No, no, no money could have bought her then uh, until that girl finished with her. And then she actually didn't belong to that girl she belonged to another man in north mississippi and i found that out a little bit later after she'd been turned out to the pasture and um anyway i called him up and i said will you sell that mare and and, and it's like our deal was i'd give more he'd have took less but we were both happy <laughs> so um so i brought her home and and um started breeding her and i'm trying to think gracie grace master was the first one I bred to. There again, a local stallion, but a but a known but a well known stallion. Tiani Schuster had Perps Master, mm -hmm. so he was standing right down the road. So that was uh, Country Girl's first breeding. So that was Grace Master. So I sent her to Cassie, and you know she did really really good. The next time I bred Country Girl was to Blaze and Jolina, and that was a really nice filly. She was in the top 20 at Judd Little's Futurity way back when she was a four-year-old. Then later, I think she did good for for some reason. Um, she was sold to China. So she kind of got out of the picture. So I'm not sure. You know, I think once they go over there, they can never come back. So I lost track of her. Um, then I bred her to Confederate leader. That was the year that... Uh, we got to um, either, no, that was before we got to standing here. And that's when, the, that was the very first and only year that he stood at a vet and got a classic Confederate, a really nice horse that Jody Rush owns. Um, bred her a couple of times, three times to Epic, got some really nice horses back to blue that Lori Zabel bought from me. Cassie did really good on him his maturity year. Um, Mandalay Bay, my epic moment. Uh, those are all. And then uh, her last foal is the um, JL Dash to Heaven that's done, stepped up and done really good this year. Uh, the KL Touch of Heaven. Uh, I think he was reserve at um, the Rookie and um, won around at the Betty Leak. Uh, won the second go, I think. He placed really good in the average at. Lone Star, and, you know, it's just done really good so far. That's her last colt. It had to be an ICSI because I couldn't, um, I couldn't, they weren't viable anymore in, in a reset. So we went for the ICSIs, and, and we did. I got uh, I got two ICSIs that year. I had to dive into my uh, retirement fund <laughs> and uh, do the ICSIs, and I got a filly and a colt. And wow. the filly, yeah, the filly was a, image of country girl i thought finally i got a filly because all she was giving me was colts 
Well, that Philly colic, she impacted. They did surgery, and then she, there was a terrible accident at the vets, and and she died. Oh, so no. I lost, I lost the last one out of country girl, and then so I tried to keep um, the touch of heaven stud, but he just didn't want to follow the program. You know, after springtime hit and the mares, and he always had the talent, but he just just didn't keep his mind on it. You know, like Epic really did keep his mind on it. But uh, so we gelded him. And, uh, of course, that's the best thing we could have done anyway. Um, so, um, and then my other, so that, that I mean, Country Girl, you can bury me with her. I mean, I love that mare so much. She's done so much for me. And, and you know, really kind of going back to all of this, one of the things I was saying that I think, Besides growing up in the 60s, 70s, and, and seeing great all-around horses, running bred horses, you know, I've had a childlike faith in God, you know, that things were going to turn out. And I don't think all of this is me at all. I think it's grace. I've been under grace. And, and you know, that's a unmerited favor of God in, in gifting you and you know to try to pass it on and every night i kiss my little dog butters and 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 thank god that you know and i say what a good and perfect gift you've given me and this little dog and and the and the horses too so no matter how much i've messed up you know i think god's carried me through this and he's given me the grace and the favor you know to find these horses and do the you know where i where I've messed up so much, you know, it, it still has worked out somehow. And, you know, that, that's truly what I think. And, and then the other thing is, like I said earlier too, getting them in the right hands. And then I found Cassie a long time ago. Um, I watched her ride, um, cash your checks at the bar, Bailey. And it's like, wow, she can really ride. This is when she was, I don't know, 19 or 20, whatever. And then she went to work for Judd, and it's like, oh, well, you know, she's kind of exclusive to him. We can't get to her. And then she went out on her own, and I had a dash to fame he, that I bought as the yearling, but, and I trained him. I started him, but I couldn't finish him because uh, I was going crippled myself then. I had broke my back when I was 12 trying to learn to trick ride and got drug and had all kinds of back troubles growing up. and. That affected me a lot, even, you know, with riding. So after I got out of PT school, I'd work all day. I'd train horses most of the night. And finally, it just, I just couldn't do it anymore. I just walked up the hill or crawled up the hill to the house and hung up my spurs. And it's like, and then I found out Cassie was going out on her own. So it's like, oh, how can I find out her number? So I got her number and I said, I've got this dash to fame. I've wasted him. He's four now maybe you, you know can you finish him for me so brought him up there and that's kind of how i got with cassie and um a little bit later we sold him she made a really good little horse out of him and uh, then it's like i'm always trying to figure out i didn't want to sell him she wanted to push me to sell him and it's like i didn't want to sell him because it's like i want to stay in touch i want to stay relevant how can i stay in this game because I can't go and buy these horses that I raise. You know, I have to raise them some, you know, to to keep going. So um, always struggling to, 
to figure out how to keep going. So that's one. So if finally did that, and then it's like a maybe a little bit later, I got to you know raise these horses, and and um, I did sell uh, Cassie a, a moonlark out of the moonlark mare. But if I'm elected, that was another stallion that I had kind of watched because I wasn't really. I liked the Beduinos because they were so athletic, and I wasn't really scared of them. And I saw, um, you know, some nice colts by him, and and so I bred that mare, and, and that turned out to be a really nice colt. Holly Foster Berry has him now. Um, then I also about that same time I bought uh, Pass the Bell from Cassie, and she she was dashing Dylan's uh, dam. Uh, Cassie won the juvenile on him and went on to make just a really really nice horse just love that horse and she did good with all of those and then I raised some out of her and then she gave me a filly by a breeder to dash to fame and um got a filly named hallelujah fame and she was stepped on and hurt when she was a baby and she never could be broke to ride either so that's a continuation of a good family of mares and in Hallelujah Fame, she produced Hallelujah Epic, Shelly Moe's really good horse. And then uh, Martha Smith's got a couple of them out of her that have done good. I think she named them, Can I Get a Hallelujah? Can I Get an Amen? And so all of those, you know, have been really good. And uh, Brittany Dowling from South Dakota bought Tallulah from me, Lulu. And they want some money on her, but... She had flipped over and hurt her neck, and they couldn't go on with her. She got kind of weak in the back end, but she was a nice filly, and I think she's raising some good babies out of her. And, um, you know, so that's kind of a little bit of, of that. Um, so when you, I mean, I just love listening to the stories because I, I, I think it's so incredible just to hear how, you know, the history of these bloodlines have been improved on. Um, right. So when you when you have your good mares, I mean, it sounds like you really pick them more than anything based on what they look like, their confirmation, how yes. they're built, because you see them in person. So, you know, like for Country Girl, it doesn't sound like you bred her to the same stud twice. Uh-uh. So when you uh-uh. choose different stallions, I mean, what are you looking for to to complement each other? Um, Do you start looking at pedigree or, you know, just kind of, how do you make the matches? Well, it's not just the, the pedigree, although, you know, that, that did do a lot for me. Mm -hmm. It's, it's, and the look of the horse, it's their movements. It's how they uh, match up and how they move and how they work and their style. And, I don't know. It's just like I go back to, I think it's just, you know, a gift from God. I can, I can put that mare moving with that stallion moving the same body type together. And it's like, it's like, yeah, that's going to work or mm, no, that's not going to work. You know, I don't know. I don't know that that's how I do it. I, I don't know where that comes from. I don't know past that. I can just, so I, that's why I have to know the mares. That's why I'm going, I'm, mm, I don't want to buy a mare. I don't know. So I don't know how she travels. They've got to move right. They've got to be an athlete. They've got to. Uh, so 
I can, I can put her and, and another horse together or some of these others, or I have gone out on, you know, well, this is, this horse is producing. Let's see how they match up. You know, I've, I have done it that way. You know, I've told somebody one time, I wish mares were cats and we'd get those colts a whole lot sooner, you know, so <laughs> we wouldn't waste two or three years trying to see if we did the right thing or the wrong thing. So, so much of it was, was trial and error also, but, but that's how I truly do it. I think is just, I, I, in my mind's eye, I put them together, uh, body type and, and, and their movements, uh, their style. I love that. I don't know if I've actually ever heard it put that way before, you know, because nowadays, um, which we'll talk about in a little bit, I feel like, you know, studs are being picked based on their pedigree or what they're enrolled in. And, you know, not a lot right. of people see the stallions in person. Um, right. And, but I've never actually heard, like, not just the picture, not just, you know, the best mm-hmm. look, but, like, how they move. Like, have you seen them in motion? And, yes. I mean, I think that's just fantastic advice. Yeah. And, and, and I know how my mares move, and I know they're athletes, and, and I have had some mares that I've sent down the road because, mm-hmm. you know, they couldn't turn around in a 40-acre pasture. They didn't. They weren't athletic, you know. So it's like, mm, nope, not even going to start with you. So, um, but these families that I've got, they were kind of, you know, they proved themselves. And, that, and, and I couldn't get away from those. So I did when I, I did. By Streak Insider, she's a daughter of Streak and Six out of a, uh, a thoroughbred mare, and I don't shy right away from thoroughbreds either. Um, but I bought her when Epic was a two-year-old because I felt like he would cross with a Streak and Six, you know, mare. Just felt that, and so I was very fortunate to get her. And this is. Uh, this is uh, Stitch of Streak and Fame's mama. This was kind of right before he broke out and, and did so well with Andrea Klein. So it's like, okay, so I got that mare, you know? And, and so then Sir, So Epic came along, and Cassie did great with him as a paternity horse. And Sydney uh, Forrest, you know, has just done fantastic with him in the rodeos and mm-hmm. just came the year that. Uh, Cassie went to the NFR on, on uh, Junior, if I want to make me happy. Um, Sydney almost made it to the NFR with, with Sterling, is what we call him, so mm-hmm. epic. And, uh, but he blew out an abscess, I think, right after winning Dodge City, and, and it just couldn't pull it out. Um, so, uh, but she's got a, um, a full sister, he's got a full sister that I bred so very epic. Um, I bred her back to epic and got that. And then she's produced this year the Sir Epic horse. She's a, so she's a true blue hen mare to me um, because she's multi-generational. And, you know, her daughter has produced. So Streak Insider, she also produced Dash and Canelo. Dash and Canelo won um, Dash, um, Diamonds and Dirt, mm-hmm. reserved, at, reserved at Fort Smith. Uh, Cassie won some big uh, go-rounds on him and some paternities out west. Might have hit a barrel to, 
to place an average or whatever. But and, and then um, she's she's my other great mare besides Country Girl. And let's see, I've got I got some. So I like that, but that that part of it, I always thought Epic would go good. You talk about breeding the Epic, but let's talk about you creating Epic Leader. Um, Because when I was when I was looking at your Equistat, I was like, wait a minute, I was like, Epic Leader is not on here. But then I realized that you know the the owner of the mare, the embryo, is the breeder. Kelly's the breeder. Yeah. Yeah. Kelly's the breeder. So tell us how you and Cassie like came up with this idea that now is like its own dynasty. It's it's all Cassie. It was Cassie's brainchild. We were, I I went to see my Colts that she was riding for me and we went down the road to a little restaurant to get something to eat or something to drink or something. And we were standing in line and I could tell Cassie wanted to say something, but she didn't. I said, go ahead. What's you thinking? She said, what do you think about breeding the baddest mare to the baddest stallion? And I'm going, oh, you got me. You got me hooked. What are you talking about? So she said, how about breeding Fiesta to Confederate leader? And it's like, oh, my gosh. You know, it was one of those moments where I could just see it. And it just like, oh, yeah, 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 let's do it. So. So neither we were both broke as we could be, you know. It's like <laughs> it's like how are we gonna do this? I'm a dreamer. I just jump off into something and then figure out how to do it. Kathy's Cassie's a little more uh, practical than I am, maybe. Um, so it's like okay. So I went home three or four days. I couldn't sleep, so I called her up and I said, "Let's do it." Are you serious? So she called Kat, uh, Kelly and met and signed the transfers and. We paid for the embryo down at Lance Gray at the uh, Kinder that year. And then that was the only year that um, the man that owned Confederate Leader um, actually took him to a vet. He never took him to a vet any other year than the year that we got uh, Fiesta bred to him. So that's amazing in itself. So like I said, it was Cassie. Cassie picked it out. She had it in her mind. I loved Confederate Leader from way back. I saw the young girl, you know, win the BFA Derby on him. And it's like, wow, what a nice horse. And um, then I never heard of him again. Cassie kind of kept up with him because she was in um, West Texas at the time. And that's where he was. And and she saw a, a, another lady run him and just win one D's and opens and things like that. And, and she kept up with him. And that's when she bought uh, Pass the Bell bread to Confederate leader with Dash and Dylan. And that's one of the reasons, you know, we kind of always like the same horses to begin with, I guess. Anyway, that's how he came about. Um, so that, that was always really special. And Cassie brought the uh, reset mare home and kept her, most of the year and then she was gracious enough i twisted her arm i think she didn't want to i, I brought him home to mississippi and and fold the mare out and raised him and i kept him for a year and a half and she said oh it's over he's got to come to texas i said oh okay <laughs> so they all so it came over and and she, everybody gave me you know six months to move to texas because i was following him because i was totally in love with that horse and i mean 
I wanted to stay him from the start. He was always a stay, and there was never any doubt of, you know, cutting him. Yeah. Um, you know, he was he was going to make it. There's that childlike faith again. You know, it's going to happen. You know, I believe in it. Um, just how can how can how can we get this horse? You know, if it wasn't the grace of God, you know, working in 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 us. But um, so I came and moved about bought a place in 2010 in Morgan Mill. And then I had, Country Girl was the first one that foaled here. She foaled um, Junior in, in 2010. He was the first one. And, um, yep, yep. And then I needed, I had just moved, so I needed the selling. And I, and I called my friend back in Mississippi, Martha Smith, and uh, said, Martha, I got this really nice colt, and I'll sell him to you. And um so she bought him. Everybody was going, what's wrong with him? I said, there's nothing wrong with him. I need the money. You know, I'm broke. I just moved. You know, i got to feed these horses. You know, i got, I got, you know. So, um, so, but I wouldn't let her take him home. I wanted, I wanted to, there's again, getting them in the right hands. I wanted control of him. Mm-hmm. I wanted, so, so I kept him here in Mississippi. And, and finally, when he was a yearling, I think, Martha and Jeff came over to the first time they'd seen him. And um, so so I got him broke. And then from there, I think I think Molly Montgomery actually wrote him for a, a, a month or so for Cassie while she was busy. And then, then Cassie got him and has kept him, you know, the whole time after that and did, and did everything on him. And then Martha's really picking up. She's She barely didn't make qualifying for the American. So she's in the next qualifier at uh, Northside. So I'm, so I'm hoping Martha makes it because, because she took a, you know, she, she started out with, with him after Cassie and, and um, has just, it took her a while, but she is stuck with it and she's just doing really good. Everybody's so proud of her. And, and Junior is such a great horse to go through a change of rider and somebody learning the ropes and, and getting to the rodeos and they've just done so good. I'm so proud of them. You know, that's, that's the thing. I want my Colts and, you know, I love them so much that I don't want them abused. I don't want them go in the wrong hands. I make deals with people, you know, because I know they're going to take care of them and I know they're going to send them to, to the right places I uh, tried to get a lot of them into Cassie's hand and sold a couple that wound up in Hallie Hansen's hand. And, and there again, I didn't have anything to do with that. You know, there was, you know, grace of God that they got into Hallie's hands. That was mean cheerleader and wicked little leader. And wicked little leader is the same instance as Epic. I bred her and raised her and sold her to Isabella Quarter Horses, but I'm not a breeder because uh, I didn't own her mama, but I picked her mama out to breed. And um, so so that's why she's not on my equal set either. But I claim her, little Wilda. Um, yeah. I mean, yeah. that's incredible. And I think just like such a good reminder that most times breeders are not selling horses that are coals. They're selling them because they have to pay the bills. <laughs> exactly, to keep going. And I've told, I've told people it seems like when I sell them, I, I turn the money right back around and, you know, breed, breed them again. And there goes the money back that way. So I just 
it's a snowball. Mm-hmm. And it's like, okay, okay. Now. And that's why it's been so hard to keep going because I don't have a deep pocketbook. I don't, I have to, you know, be smart and, and, and I've never raised a poke crop with more than five colts. Wow. Um, because, under, you know, usually it's been one, one or two or three, something like that. So I've really only ever raised 30-something colts. Qual- I think Quality over quantity. Right. Yeah, 11 mares. I think the equistat for the million was 26 folds, beginning in 2005 and ending in 2021. I think that's what we looked up. Yeah. That's so, so amazing. So did you know when Epic was born and he came out a little gray stud that you, because you kept him through his fraternity year, right? You and Cassie owned him together? Yes. Or, yes. Okay. Uh-huh. So you, we you actually, kept him. What, did you just know like, all right, this one's not for sale? Well, the first, I mean, Cassie, uh, she called me the first time anybody even put a saddle on him, you know, cause she knew I, I'd want to see him. And so, uh, then I'd, see the uh the man that broke him uh joe butterfield i see him you know start him and then cassie called me she said okay i'm gonna take him around the barrels and for the first time so it's like not till i get there and (laughs) and it's like and then it's like she trotted around the barrels and you could tell when one wants to go to that barrel you know has something you know hooked up with that barrel you could tell you know the first time he went around them and and it's like then we watched him and it's like okay you know we we think we got something here so uh, we just kept kept going on with him and um so yeah that there again look look how that turned out i mean just that and that wasn't me yeah that was cassie that was cassie that was epic just and i just enjoyed the ride I mean, he was so so great from the first run he made his maturity year to the BFA. Was that just so much fun to watch him that year and be like, this is is how it all comes together just right. He had had the greatest mind and just was the nicest stallion. You you know, most people, when she was first taking him, is he a gelding? No, he's a stallion. You know, and he, he was just... Under the radar, she hauled him that year with five mares all wow. over the country up into Canada, you know, and it's like, okay, I'm a good boy. Whatever you want me to do, you know, I'll do. So, I mean, he was born that way. He came out that way. So, I mean, and he's still that way. He's still the kindest. I tell people he's just the kindest day and you're ever going to want to be around. Mm-hmm. Um, so, he was he was it from from... From then to now. And know, when and did so- the decision come to sell him to Schiller Ranch? Did you guys just know that, like, standing a stud wasn't something you wanted to tackle? Or was it just yeah, opportunity, I, it, it was the there, right move? Yeah, there again, you know, she's a horse trainer. I was just doing my deal on my own. Um, so we didn't have a lot of capital I guess to put into advertising and standing him and 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 Cassie you know I think she she wanted to sell him more than I did Mm -hmm. she didn't want anything to happen to him and she wanted him to be in the you know 
right hands for somebody to really promote him and, and get good mares. And I think that was the main decision. I mean, it was, it was really hard on me. I, I went in, you know, it, it was tough. Yeah. Um, I think it was a little easier for Cassie cause she could go on with other horses. This is the time when I had to figure out how am I going to stay relevant? How, how am I going to, uh, what am I going to do next to, to, am I just going to fade away kind of thing? So I kind of went into a little depression and then, then, you know, I pulled myself out of it. Um, you know, it, like I said, it was tough. And then, then the Colts doing good, at, you know, I still had some going and I retained some breedings to epics. So, um, you know, I got a couple of more mares that were, um, you know, I got a Martha six moon mare. I got a six folds mare. Um, uh, you know, that I bred to him. The the Martha Six Moon mare was uh, was the Firewater Flit, Flit Cross, you know, on a Martha Six Moon, you know, mm-hmm. and that turned out to be mean cheerleader. So uh, then I lost that mare, unfortunately, in foal. She colicked and died. So, uh, but we got mean cheerleader. And Jennifer is gracious enough. I'm going to get a embryo out of her this year. And, um, so, so I don't know where I was. <laughs> it, was it? I, I just, I mean, I really do love that because it's like, you know, when you can say in 20 minutes, you know, the lines, but that's like 30 years of breeding yeah. and focusing on generations to now be able to get an embryo yeah. out of, you know, one yeah. of the mares Thank that you, you bred. Yeah. And then, then hopefully, maybe next year I can I can get one out of Wicked Little Leader because yeah. she had a great mama, my friend Patty Jo Higdon. Um, this this mare, she almost made it to the NFR one year. Uh, a couple of down barrels at the end of the year cost her, and but a great mare did great in the southeastern circuit and open rodeos and, and things. And uh, by the three O Jones horse that was so good. Uh, in in the southern region and that's her mama that I picked out to breed the epic and um so maybe I can get a baby out of her one year too Ron (laughs) if you're listening um, (laughs) Uh, mark it down yes mark it down mark it down I'm I'm, I'm coming after you next year maybe so Um, funny we always get a lot of questions about um the nutrition, how you raise them, are they in stalls or pens or pastures or what do you feed them? Um, so kind of walk us through that part of your program. Okay. Well, I've tried a few different things, but I've most, I've stuck with a lot of things too. Um, back in Mississippi, we didn't have a lot of, um, alfalfa available, but, um, I did, I fed Purina feed and I fed Purina feed for a long time. And, and it's always done me good, uh, especially the mare and foal. Uh, so I've, I've, and then I feed ADM feed because it's, I can get it around here. And, and I do, I'm very careful that I don't cause overgrowth in my colts, mm-hmm. uh, that their minerals are going to be just right, that they don't get epiphysitis, things like that. The only year that I did have a couple of foals with epiphysitis, I, I changed to another brand, a feed that er, you know, had just come out. Everybody was raving about it, but it's like, whoa, wait a minute. I'm going to go back to Purina and ADM. So I've really stuck to that. They've got good minerals. 
uh, free choice minerals. I get the tubs, the ABM tubs. Um, those are good. Um, here in Texas, I can get the good quality alfalfa. So I, I, I don't mind feeding them that either. I don't feed coastal, coastal uh, especially round bells for the risk of impaction when they don't drink enough, especially in the wintertime. Mm. Uh, so I got rid of all of the coastal. Um, so it's basically straight alfalfa, good minerals, um, good balanced diet, which I stick with with that. So it, it's it's like some of the Marin Foal Juniors, I can keep the mare on it all breeding, you know, all the time breeding season while she's bred the foal can start eating it as i wean the foal the foal's still eating the same feed uh no problems no growth issues have you know popped up uh everything's balanced and it's simple you know i don't make it real hard i make it simple yeah Um, so that that's it um I've stuck with those two feeds like that haven't caused growth issues, good quality alfalfa, and good minerals, and that's it. And I turn them out, let them be horses. Um, they've got to run, they got to play, they've got to develop out in the pasture. Um, no, I don't keep them up for any reason. Um, you know, if I change pastures on them, you know, that's when I'll uh, fool with them a little bit. Um, somebody said, give me a give me a daily thing to do these colts. I said, no, I don't know what's happening on a daily basis with your colt. You know, it's, it's a, it's a, a, again, the feel like what's going on this particular day. I don't falter break my colts because I don't, at first I don't, because I don't want to pull on their head. I don't want to pull on their neck and have any injuries. Um, I might put a little soft cotton rope around their uh, neck and I teach them to, you know, move off, that pressure and, and, and teach them to disengage their hips. And so I've got them turning left and right and following me before I ever track them off straight forward. And then once I put the halter on them, they're broke. You know, they, they know my body language, what I've done with them. Um, so they never pull back. Um, Smart. Just, I've, I've never I, heard of that approach before, but I mean, that, that makes yeah. more sense than anything. Yeah. And then I, I just wrap their, uh, lead rope around a, a post not, not you know I don't you just cowboy tie it I don't hard tie it in case they do get scared pull back and I just never let them hurt themselves and they're always you know light and um and then then you know I don't say I'm gonna train this colt for such and such a time if I'm moving them from pen to pen or stall or out to pasture changing pastures or I go out to feed them you know, five minutes of something you build on, you build on it where, you know, you might take a little while at first, a little bit longer, but then it's shorter and shorter and, and they pretty much know what you want them to do. Um, and they'll follow, they trust you. If they trust you, they'll follow you anywhere. So that's what I enjoy too is, is developing their trust in me that I'm not going to hurt them. That, that I truly love them and, and um, you know, want to work with them. And I enjoy that. I don't care if anybody sees me do it or not because most most of the time nobody's watching this, you know. So, but I enjoy it. it it's, it's, it's like leading a dog. I like a dog to be light on that leash. 
you know, just like a, just like a horse, just had that rope hanging and, and, you know, they do, I don't know, just, they trust me, I guess. Yeah. Just let them be horses. And I mean, I, I think that's, you know, a great way. I am like a rookie breeder. We're going to have our first foals born this year and I'm so excited, but I'm like, I have not really met, messed with foals. I mean, I've been around the foaling side. I've been around yes. the yearling side, yes. but like truly having the foals, I'm like, oh, we are about to advance in a whole <laughs> new world. Oh, yes, for sure. For sure. I think I had my first one, a pain horse, when I was, I don't know, a young teenager. It was quite an experience. I'm so excited. Uh, so Good. excited. As always, thanks for tuning in. A big thank you to those who support us on Patreon. If you're not subscribed on Patreon and want more content like extended episodes and bonus episodes, go to patreon.com or download the app and search The Money Barrel. Thank you to our partners at BarrelRaising.com. If you want tips and tricks for your 2022 season from some of the best in the industry, use code MONEYBARREL15 for 15% off your BarrelRaising.com membership today. All right, everyone, run fast, be safe, and we'll see you soon.